0: You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 10th of July 2022 on Monocle24.
1: Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. Coming up over the next 60 minutes, my guest today... Florian Egley and Chandra Kurt are both here with the weekend's biggest stories, maybe some small stories as well. Florian, what do you have for us this morning? Good morning, by the way.
2: Good morning. So this morning, we have a story from Ukraine where five foreign ministers were withdrawn, promoted, fired. We don't know yet. We'll talk about the latest quote from Elon Musk. Next, I buy Coca-Cola to put the cocaine back in, When now he withdrew from the Twitter um, bio.
1: Very good. Also, we're going to be heading to Tokyo for the latest from there.
3: Hello, I'm Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Tokyo Bureau Chief. I'll be talking about the death on Friday of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and also bringing in the latest from today's upper house election.
1: Thanks very much, Fiona. Also Downing Street's former Director of Communications, Lance Price, will bring us, of course, the latest uh, from a very dramatic week in British politics. Plus, we'll hear what's making headlines in the Danish broadsheet, Jyllands Post. And it's the 10th of July, 2022, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday.
0: Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé.
1: And good morning from a very summery, uh, I'd say almost typical uh, July day, or the, sort of that typical July day that you hope for uh, at this time of year. Uh, it is uh, also, um, well, I was just going to say, we have two wonderful guests around the table. Florian, uh, we were talking about lake just before we went on air. Um, have you already been in the lake pre, pre uh the red light going on in front
2: of you pre-show pre-show Yeah. no I haven't been this morning but I will definitely go today because it's my last day in Zurich for quite a while so I have to kind of taking the fresh and the, the you know, the, the briskness of the water and the, the lake from It's
1: actually not that brisk anymore, though. It, it, it's really, no, it's... The, uh, the it's,
2: lake is very warm. Yeah, agree, it's, yes.
1: it's and it's, listen, it's only, well, early, it's still early July, you could say. Um, so I'm not sure what it's going to be like come uh, come August time. Chandra, we, you know, good morning, by the way. Chandra, hello. Good morning, Tyler. Now, tell me, uh, we never really sort of talk about you and your, your experience, your relationship with the lake. Is, is your relationship just looking at it or...
4: I think my relationship is really looking at it because usually I park myself on, on our terrace and, and I don't get off of it
1: <laughs> <laughs> now um, i want to um, there's uh, there's many things we want to look at uh, of course in the pages but there's something in the in uh, on the front page of the financial times uh, weekend edition and it's uh, it's this whiskey galore story it says whiskey galore for a collector in asia who paid a record 16 million pounds for a single rare cask, uh, which is just you know a, a remarkable story when you look at this number, I mean it's just it's multiples unlike anything we've ever ever seen before. Um, it's something from the Ardberg Distillery. When you when you hear uh, these type of numbers uh, at a time when we look at and and of course are hearing about uh, the pinch on people's pocketbooks, etc. Any surprise from your wine world experience, or not really?
4: Not really, because, you know, I think it's nice that it's a, it has a history behind this this whiskey. For example, in wine, we have similar things. It's a, it takes ages to do it or, or to store it. I also am very astonished when I see that the Snyker costs, I don't know, 3000 This for me is more more un, not understandable than, than this.
1: Well, and we're going to also um, be talking a little bit later. Also, Florian, we're going to be sampling as well, uh, because... Uh, we had a little bit of a rosé launch uh, on on Thursday evening here. So uh, Monocle now has a, a new ro- rosé out. We have 1,000 bottles. So listeners, uh, if you're interested, uh, there are a few left. It's probably going to cost you significantly more to ship it wherever you may be <laughs> listing from uh, than to, to buy it at uh, 29 francs uh, a bottle. But just tease us a little bit. Uh, just tell us something, a little bit about it. We'll, of course, we'll, we'll, Florian will sample a little bit later on in the... The, uh, the remaining minutes of the programme uh, but uh, this launch this year versus what we did last summer
4: well this, this rosé happened very nicely we had a, a Sunday show and you know Tyler after we sat outside had a coffee and, and it, you told me shouldn't we make a funky rosé because summer is coming and we need a rosé for summer so I had this as, as an impulse and I went to a very nice winery which is a Chateau d'Auvernier it's on the lake of Neuchâtel it's a big castle from 1600 and uh, it's still the same family is running it so it's a 15th generation and, and uh, the young the, the young on uh, Henri took now over, and he's a good buddy of me. We, I mean, we love to drink and taste a lot of wine together. So I said, Henri, we have now a new task. We have to seduce Zurich people with a funky rosé, and so we created something. And this week we had this wonderful launch. I usually I sign books, uh, but we signed wine cases. You know, Tyler, wonderful. We signed wine cases, and they went. They, they. I, I hope there's still some left. But um, I think uh, the guests enjoyed it a lot.
1: Yeah, we, we cleared one pallet, which was which, which was very which was very good. Is uh, your mouth watering already? Uh, that's yeah, sort of the is, prospect of, is, of trying
2: it. it I mean, come on, it's it's rose. It's you know Sunday morning. The sun is out, so why not?
1: And it's your send off as well. We should tell our listeners we probably won't hear from you for. A while, hopefully not too long. But you're off on a bit of a Mediterranean odyssey, I might, aren't I might you? Might
2: call in from a satellite phone every now yeah, and then.
1: Maybe. So, we're, so, <laughs> so, tell us. Uh, last day in Zurich. Uh, where, where are you heading off to, Florian?
2: So it's going to be a bit of a mission. So I'll I'll traveling by train, by ferry, by sailing boat, by bus probably as well, and then by airplane. Um, and it will take me from here to Ankara. Um, the idea is to sail there. You know, we, we already choked about how to sail to Ankara. We'll figure it out, but we'll make it to Turkey somehow. Um, so a good friend of mine has purchased a sailing boat for an Around the World trip next year, and this year is training season in the Mediterranean, so I'll join them. We'll sail towards Turkey, um, celebrate the wedding, and then spend some time in Turkey.
1: So are you foreshadowing as well that you're going to be joining the Around the World uh, tour next year as well?
2: I, it depends on how sick how, I feel. How, you how know, well you and, do. And going from island to island in Greece is kind of the, the really the lightweight the lightweight start. It depends on how I feel, I guess.
1: And no high speed uh, rail uh, as well because you have to you have to try, you, you have to sample Erdogan's, of course.
2: Yeah, I mean we'll try the we'll try the Istanbul Ankara. I think that's the only one there is. Um, you know. We'll, where, it, and where do, where do you land
1: when you get to Turkey? Turkey.
2: Well, we'll or you you know, tie, our, tie plan, up. our plan is Izmir and then make it up to Istanbul, and then take a high-speed train to Ankara. Or if that doesn't work out, just fly from Izmir to Ankara.
1: Okay. I like like the sound of that. (laughs) Uh, As we said at the top of the program, and of course, there's many other stories we're going to look at today, but uh, I'm very happy to say that uh, Lance Price is uh, back in studio uh, in London, uh, former communications director for Downing Street, of course, a very regular uh, voice uh, around our microphones at Monocle 24 uh, as well. Good morning, Lance.
5: Good morning, Tyler. Good morning to your guests
1: let's uh, start. and um if we have a bit of a of a rewind, uh, how things unfolded um in and around uh, Westminster this week. Uh, and and maybe we'll we'll come to, of course, what we're looking at uh, down the path in terms of leadership um as well. But when you, I guess sort of go back to, to the moment of when we had, of course, uh, these very high profile, very public, uh, seemingly perfectly timed resignations. Um, but but of course, uh, we were told otherwise. What was going through, uh, of course, the former uh, Downing Street communication director's head at that point?
5: Well, you always look at these things and wonder whether this is the beginning of the end for the prime minister. But because Boris Johnson is such an extraordinary politician, uh, the normal rules don't apply. He's survived so many scandals of one sort or another and attempts to unseat him uh, and shrug them off and fought them off. So under normal circumstances, you would think that the resignation of your finance minister and another very senior uh, member of your cabinet, the health secretary, would probably be the beginning of the end. But no one was sure about that uh, until it was followed. by a mass resignation of other ministers, more junior ministers, uh, other members of the government, um, to such an extent that the BBC here in Britain were running a sort of ticker tape along the bottom of the screen on TV, just showing who had gone in the last few minutes. They were going so fast. And at that point, it became clear to everybody, I think, apart from Boris Johnson and one or two people very close to him, that it couldn't go on, that he was going to have to go. Um, and yet, by the end of that day, this is Tuesday, by the end of that day, he was still there, and and the Street were briefing that he was going to he was going to fight on. It appeared absurd to everybody else in the world but him. Um, and then the following morning, uh, we got uh, the announcement that he was resigning. Uh, of course, he's still there. He's still Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. We have a rather bizarre system. Um, he's still there, and the fight is on to succeed him.
1: So, what does that mean in terms of a timeline? Uh, of course, we have we have summer upon us. Um, I'm not sure if that also, of course, you know, adds uh, to the, perhaps the, the length of runway that he still has to, of course, uh, still be at uh, number ten. But uh, but what what are we looking at in terms of? Yes. Uh, and, of course, an announcement and, of course, someone taking up the prime ministership.
5: Yeah, I mean, the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom is a very strange beast. And it kind of literally makes up the rules as it goes along on many things, actually, but certainly on the way in which it selects its leader. So the rules for this leadership campaign, although it's started already, won't be set in stone until tomorrow um, when the committee that decides all these things will meet and, and, and determine the rules at the moment Everybody who's ever thought that they might be any good at being prime minister seems to be throwing their hat into the ring. Um, and it's kind of a, 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 a beauty contest. It's got to the point where I think people feel that um, if they don't uh, put themselves forward, uh, it'll be taken as a sign that they don't think they're up to the job of prime minister. So, I mean, literally, it could be dozens of people putting themselves forward. That will be whittled down very quickly. The system as it operates, and I think it will operate, although it may be truncated a bit by that committee I was talking about, is that MPs at Westminster, Conservative MPs at Westminster, uh, have a series of... um, ballots to eliminate the least popular candidates and they go on and on and on sometimes more than one a day until you're down to two candidates so the two candidates most favored by conservative mps then go to the membership of the conservative party uh, and if it gets that far um over the summer months uh, there will be hustings around the country those two candidates will put their case to conservative uh, members who, let's face it, are not particularly representative of the country as a whole, but we can come back to that if you like. And whoever wins that becomes the next leader of the Conservative Party and automatically prime minister. And only at that point does Boris Johnson resign. Now, it could be truncated. What happened last time, uh, sorry, yeah, no, the time before last, when Theresa May became prime minister, was there were two candidates left. It was about to go to the Membership uh, and one of those candidates, uh, the woman who was running against Theresa May, dropped out for a variety of reasons. And there was a coronation rather than the hustings. That could happen again.
1: Just, um, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you said it could be truncated. But are, are we are we in September territory here, or or sometime mid August? Uh, that um, yeah, we'll, we'll of course uh, you know, find out uh, who the well, I, I don't know if they're lucky, just the candidates.
5: Uh, well, I, we'll, have a, we'll definitely have a new prime minister by September. Um, I would have thought that probably it could be done by the end of by the end of August. Um, again, it's, it's uh, the, the Conservative Party can can set the timetable themselves for that, but they will want somebody in place—a new prime minister, Boris Johnson, finally out of the way by the time MPs come back from their summer break, and that summer break starts uh, in just over two weeks' time.
1: Uh, Lance, just, uh, Florian's got a question here, but just just before that, I, I'm curious, when you talked about the hustings going up, and, and of course, if we get down to the situation where there are two candidates, how much uh, is the situation of playing to the nation as much as, of course, uh, Conservative Party membership uh, as well? I mean, It, it becomes sort of a, a campaign light. Uh, is, is that how it will play out?
5: Well, I, I, uh, it probably should, but it probably won't. Um the fact of the matter is that those two candidates, when we get down to the last two candidates, and if it goes to the Hustings, they will be playing to the electorate that matters to them at that particular moment. And that is members of the Conservative Party. Now, members of the Conservative Party are generally older uh, than the population in general, than the average uh, population. Um, they are really quite conservative, which is why the members of the Conservative Party, you can't blame them for that but they tend to be conservative with a small c, socially quite conservative, many of them. Um, uh, And the issues that matter to them and that will help them decide on who they want as the next prime minister may very very well be, and I would argue most certainly will be, different to the priorities of the population as a whole. So you have a situation where two people are running to be prime minister of the country who know that in a year or two they're going to have to go to the general public uh, in a general election and seek their support but in the meantime are appealing on completely different grounds to members of the conservative party it doesn't necessarily make for the best system for selecting your know, new prime minister
1: florian
2: yes hi i think this is um, um extremely interesting i was just wondering how are the Brits feeling about all of this. What's the sentiment in the population, especially if we contrast it to Sri Lanka, you know, um, where the president was just ousted people swimming in his pool, putting um, his his house on fire, and 10 Downing Street still seems incredibly intact. And um, yet, you know, Boris Johnson has left, you know, quite quite a divided country. I mean, Brexit, the handling of COVID, cost of living crisis, so many crises. And I from from here, it just seems that the, the public is, is awkwardly quiet. Is that really the case? Or, or how's the sentiment overall in the public?
5: I I think it's partly because and for the reasons that I've just been describing that the public are kind of observers in all of this rather than participants in it and that may be a fault of the system that we have going on at the at the moment. Um, I think that people are absolutely sick and tired of the psychodrama around Boris Johnson's leadership. It has been an extraordinary period uh, and he divides opinion. I mean he's a very very divisive politician. So there are still people in the country who are passionate supporters of him, are very sorry to see him go, despite all his manifest faults that have been paraded uh, across uh, the newspapers and across TV and radio, not only in recent days, but ever since he's been prime minister and probably before that. Um, So, and, And you're absolutely right. I mean, the priorities that the Tory party candidates are now talking about as they set out their stall are actually, I think, very different from the priorities of the public, because as you as you rightly allude to, we have a massive cost of living crisis. Uh, We have uh, inflation at um, uh, a 50 year high in this country and now that's not all down to the policies of the of the Tory party we know that there are international pressures but there are very very real concerns for the everyday lives of the citizens of this country that really are being put to one side while the Conservative Party argue over things like tax cuts um, and and brexit and, and and all the rest of the things that matter more to Tories than they matter to the rest of the country
1: I'm just uh, looking, and uh, well, we'll come back to what's happening actually in Sri Lanka in a moment. But um, I just wanted to talk about labor for for a moment, uh, and what this means is you're saying, you know, whoever comes in, uh, eighteen months, two years, they're they're going to be in post. Uh, as labor wringing their hands, obviously, you know, many people look at, uh, of course, Labor's leader Kir Starmer and say, you know, d- does he have the quality, of course, to to step up and and win? When you look at the political landscape right uh, right now, Lance, um, and and of course you look at uh, at your your party or former party. Um, what's what's your take on uh, what the prospects might be and what a, a future election could look like?
5: Well, yeah, I mean, full disclosure, it's still my party. I'm, I, I work for, I'm chief of staff to a Labour member of Parliament uh, at the moment, so I do have a, a team uh, on the on, on the pitch, um, and uh, I would never pretend otherwise. Um, but there's, there's no doubt that um, the dynamic will change when we have a new leader. The contrast between Keir Starmer, who some people feel is a little bit uh, bland and a bit um, uh, unexciting, the contrast between that and the kind of antics that Boris Johnson got up to was one that worked undoubtedly in Keir Starmer's favour and the Labour Party have a substantial lead in the opinion polls over Boris Johnson uh, at at the moment Um, and you know I I know Keir Starmer reasonably well he is actually um, a very impressive man Uh, and I'm not just saying that because he's the leader of my party but I mean he, he, he genuinely is and would make a very very good prime minister but there's no doubt that the dynamic British politics will change with the nature of the new prime minister Uh, and the Labour Party will have to see how that goes, see see how they present themselves against whoever the new leader is. Um, But I think the important point that they are pressing home at the moment, and it's the obvious thing to do, is that it's not just about Boris Johnson. The Conservatives have been in power, they've been in government, we've had a Conservative prime minister for 12 years now And all of those things that I was describing earlier, we have the highest tax um, rates in this country for a generation, inflation, immense cost of living crisis, um, public services under enormous strain, huge, huge challenges which are not just the result of decisions that Boris Johnson has made during his relatively short time as Prime Minister, but of 12 years of Conservative government. So the Labour Party has to say, you know, this is not just about Boris Johnson, it's about the Tories, and that's what that's what they're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, in British politics, the cards are up in the air. We'll have to see how they fall. Um, but uh, there was an issue over whether Keir Starmer... So. You, Your listeners may remember that—I'm sure they will—that there was a a lot of uh, controversy, and rightly so, over the fact that the COVID regulations that everybody else in the country was following weren't being followed uh, in 10 Downing Street and in Whitehall, Um, and there was a question mark over whether Keir Starmer himself, at his deputy, had broken those rules. He was cleared by the police on Friday of that. So. You know, Keir Starmer's in the clear. He's got a clear run at it. There's no challenge to him as the leader of the Labour Party. Um, and he is now going to have to set out his stall as an alternative um, to the new prime minister and to the Conservative Party and its record in office.
1: And just before we go, uh, you mentioned, of course, public services uh, being under pressure. Uh, and, and we see that uh, you know, whether, we, whether that is security, whether we, we look at the NHS, uh, there's challenges uh, with infrastructure, many things. Can the the British voter uh, yeah, rest a little bit easy despite the turmoil in and around Downing Street that the bureaucracy uh, can still keep the country running almost as it should be um, in the midst of what is emerging as a bit of a crazy summer?
5: Well, it's difficult because um, the civil service do have a responsibility to keep the show on the road, but we don't really have a functioning government at the moment. Uh, we have because... The Prime Minister doesn't any longer have a mandate of his own as leader of his party. There can't be any new initiatives announced. He says he won't tie the hands of his successor. So if we are going to have this rather lengthy um, election process of the Conservative Party, that does inject a degree of paralysis to um, the, the British political system, which I think is very, very dangerous when we are facing so many crises, not just within the country, but of course internationally with the war in Ukraine and the other challenges that we have on the international stage. Um, And there's only so much that you can do, even the the best civil service in the world, and we do have a superb civil service, uh, and with the best will in the world from those ministers who are still in government, it is very, very hard for them to take decisive action during that period. And I think that's another reason why some Conservative MPs certainly would like to see this whole process curtailed.
1: Lance Price, uh, over in the UK. I said London earlier, but uh, you're up in Yorkshire. Thanks very much for that. Uh, Have a good uh, rest of uh, Sunday. And that was uh, Lance Price, uh, former comms uh, head at number 10 Downing Street. Uh, Joining us from the north of the UK, uh, maybe just uh, before we go back to London, Florian, for the news, uh, a couple of other things. You sort of teased a story at the top of the programme, of course, which is about, well, it's musical chairs uh, for a number of high profile diplomats uh, within uh, the Ukraine's foreign ministry.
2: Yes, indeed. So this is a story in the Tiger So five, um, um, five uh, ambassadors have been fired. You know, um, <laughs> punished, promoted. Nobody really knows. So um, Zelensky issued a statement that is a regular rotation, which seems hard to believe. So one of them is um, Andriy Melnyk. Um, he's the Ukrainian ambassador in Berlin. Um, he. Became famous when he made fun of um, Olaf Scholz not traveling to Kiev, um, you know, for um, being in German. He called him eine beleidigte Leberwurst. I'm not sure what the translation of that is, but it's it's somehow like a sulking a sulking sausage. I would translate it that way. <laughs> um, and he's been um, he's been there for eight years, and, and also. Um, one other important post is the ambassador in Hungary, which is, of course, um, very important because um, Viktor Orban is often the critical component in the European Union when it comes to a reaction towards Russia or imposing sanction um, and the likes. Um, so it it kind of feels like this is more than a rotation. So there are some rumors saying that, um, you know, perhaps Andriy um, Melnik will in fact um, be promoted to deputy foreign minister, um, but also that seems somewhat unlikely because you know why wouldn't you announce it then Um, so it seems that there is really there is quite some issues in in the Foreign Service in Ukraine um, which doesn't really surprise me because I mean this is a a country that's been under tremendous stress you know internally and externally um, for for more than half a year now and and it's actually quite impressive that they're able to run and and keep up the Foreign Service and and you know all these embassies around the world Um, so but it seems like it seems like some sort sort of an earthquake where no Nobody really knows um, what to make out of it, but, um, you know, might also indicate some shifts in the foreign policy, because really, um, two of the most important posts in Europe um, are now vacant and it's um, up to see who's going to fill them. Uh, Chandra, while well, we were uh,
1: talking to, to Lance, uh, I saw you staring at the monitors uh, here, here in the studio, a, a bit of a gas looking at uh, the situation in, in Colombo, of course, a country which is very close to your heart.
4: Well, actually, I was born there um, more than fifty years ago, and, and more than forty years ago, I was not back there. But but it touched me very much to see how the how how the, the, they stormed the, the buildings of, of the government. You know, it. There are always changes. There are political unrest, but I always think there should stay some some manners and some rules.
1: Mm. Uh, just uh, reflecting, as you said, uh, many decades in between since you've uh, since you've been back. Uh, but uh, childhood uh, memories that you can conjure from uh, what was a very very different time. Uh, in in, in Sri Lanka,
4: well, it was of course my my, my parents worked for the Smithsonian Institution, and we saw so we were a lot with with the American Embassy, and and a lot in the jungle, and, and <clears throat> maybe this was my my <clears throat> trigger to go in the in, not in the jungle, but in the vineyards. So, but I have I have lovely memories that there were a lot of cocktail parties, you know, nice dresses, how it was in the in the sixties.
1: Exactly. Well, that's a, a love a lovely uh, image to conjure up. Uh, just. Uh, Almost, It is the bottom of the hour right now, uh, which means that we're heading back to London. Uh, Carlotta Ribello is there with the news headlines.
0: Thanks, Tyler. Japan's ruling Liberal Democratic Party is set for a surge of support in today's parliamentary elections following the killing of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe on Friday. Mr Abe, who was Japan's longest-serving leader, was shot by a gunman during a political rally ahead of the vote. Polls are due to close at twenty hundred local time. That's midday in Zurich. Sri Lanka's president Gotabaya Rajapaksa has announced he will step down after protesters stormed his official residence. Hundreds of thousands of demonstrators descended on the capital Colombo after months of economic mismanagement. The announcement triggered an eruption of celebratory fireworks in the city. Angola's government has allowed for the family of former President José Eduardo dos Santos to return to the country for his funeral without facing prosecution, following his death on Friday. His daughter, Isabel dos Santos, who was once Africa's richest woman, faces judicial proceedings over embezzlement allegations. Eduardo dos Santos, who ruled the country for nearly four decades, initially received praise for his peace negotiation efforts, but his legacy is that of leading one of the most corrupt regimes in Africa. And a nationwide shortage of lifeguards is forcing local pools across the United States to close for the summer. The American Lifeguard Association says that a third of all public pools in the country could be affected, with many having already reduced their hours of operation. Those are your Monocle 24 News. Back to you, Tyler.
1: Thanks very much, Carlotta. It's that uh, part of the program because uh, we have Chandra here uh, as well. When uh, everyone gives uh, Chandra a brief for the type of uh, wine that they might want to enjoy this afternoon, across the week, what, whatever it uh, may be, um, I, I will let you, you mentioned something, maybe looking for a Portuguese suggestion, but you might want to reformulate it. Um, I'm going to start with Florian. So, Florian, it's a bit of a send off. You're leaving Zurich for a while, Uh do you want a sort of a pre-flavor of the med? Do you want something Swiss? What what can Chandra conjure up for you?
2: I think I'll have all the flavors of the med. So I want something, you know, to remind me, kind of. Um, I want something to kind of look back to, you know, perhaps where where I came from. And, um, and where where, of, where
1: is that? I think our listeners are probably intrigued. They want to know it, where where are you from?
2: It's probably here, right? It's probably Zurich. <laughs> okay. um, um, but but also importantly, something that one can drink on a sailing boat. Um, you know, it's kind of this a tricky situation because it's, it''s it's a bit shaky, it's a bit rocky, you know. Um, so you don't want to drink too much, but yet maybe you need a little bit to feel at ease. Um, and then it's also the cooling situation isn't probably all that great. So um, yeah, so sailing boat and and a bit of and a bit of uh, memories. Chandra, clear? Perfect, perfect, very good. Difficult brief, I think, it's, No, uh, You've got, you got to
1: fit a lot in. It's a special
4: in. one, especially because I don't really sail, but I will um, think about it.
1: Okay. Um, Carlotta, ov- ov- over to you.
0: Hi, Chandra. So this weekend, actually tonight, I'm hosting a friend, a dear friend from the United States who's finally in London after a lot of years. And uh, I want something to go along uh, with uh, our meal. We're doing a cold um, salad, cold pastas. It's very hot in London. It's 29, 30 degrees. So it needs to be something that goes with the nice weather. But as we spoke at the start of the program, perhaps something from my home country of Portugal to kind of entice my friend to stay in this side of the world a bit longer Perfect. and not return to the U.S. Perfect. Very good.
1: Okay, John, I'm going to give you one as well. So it's uh, it's not going to be 30 degrees. It's going to be sort of 25, 26. I think it'll be, looks like it'll be sort of partly cloudy, but it's going to be a lovely afternoon. Um, I am going to sort of, I'm not going to park myself at the lake. I might just sort of, you know, zip down once or twice uh, across the course of the day. It's going to be a barbecue this evening. Uh, There's going to be a very nice Swiss, uh, I think an entrecot. So um, maybe from Simmental, a little bit of uh, barbecued uh, aubergine, uh, etc. So yeah, listen, we can go rosé, we can go white, we can go red. So um, yeah, have a little think.
4: Perfect, we'll do that.
1: Excellent. Uh, I should uh, say we're just going to go away for a very, very short break uh, for a moment. When we come back, uh, we are heading to Denmark, to Jylland's Post, and stay with us.
6: Wondering where your hometown stands in Monocle's survey of the best 25 cities to call home? Find out this week as Monocle's 15th annual quality of life-themed issue hits newsstands. The magazine delves into what makes cities tick and explains why it matters. Discover why Copenhagen once again takes the top spot and what gives Zurich, Lisbon, Helsinki and Stockholm the edge in the race to make the top five. This year new indicators were introduced to reflect a post-pandemic shift in working patterns, the rising cost of living and a desire to breathe a little freer. And it's all compiled by Monocle's editors and our in-the-know, on-the-ground correspondents. So be sure to get your copy of the July-August double issue of Monocle magazine, which is on sale now. Or subscribe, find out more, and stay tuned to Monocle 24 by heading to monocle.com. Monocle, keeping an eye and an ear on great cities all around the world.
1: You're back with Modicle on Sunday. It's uh, 10.35 uh, here in Zurich, in Switzerland. It's also the same time uh, up in Denmark, uh, where we're heading now to speak to the editor-in-chief. I'm uh, Arjen uh, from Jyllands Posten, of course, one of the nation's newspapers of record. Uh, not joining us uh, from the headquarters, but joining us uh, from the island of Lolland. Uh, good morning.
7: Good morning to you.
1: I wanted to uh, start. If we uh, picked up uh, the front page of uh, of the weekend edition uh, of uh, Jyllands Posten, uh, this comes, of course, off the back of what has been um, a very tragic, uh, very profound week uh, in in Danish news. Off the back um, of the attack at uh, the the Field Shopping Center uh, in in Copenhagen, this yeah. is. Uh, Normally, also a time uh, for weekend newspapers uh, to go deep uh, to reflect on, of course, what what happened. And so, I'm very curious: uh, how is uh, Jyllands Posten approaching? this story, given all that we know um, at at this point, uh, that we, of course, have an individual Mm. who was known, uh, that the security services quite early on said that this was someone that was known to them. Uh, And and when we hear this, uh, what do, of course, editors and correspondents make of this in your newsroom as much as the Danish public?
7: Well, it has been, yeah, of course, a very, very tragic event. It's, it's the headline of the week, but it's also the headline maybe of, of all the, the news all year long in Denmark, because, um, yes, it, it was, uh, such a heartbreaking event. Three people got killed, um, four people were severely injured, but it seems they are going to survive. And then almost 30 people, uh, was injured in total in this uh, horrible attack in, um, in a mall. So, it, it um well it has it it's rise, it's it, it it gives us many questions to reflect upon like who was he uh, this uh, this young man um who made this terrible attack uh, what can his story tell us uh, about uh, his motive and about uh, why these things can happen so of course that's uh, that's a theme that we uh, at Julence are diving into um and and it, um, a lot of that research points to a big debate about the psychiatry in Denmark, since this man was, um, uh, it seems he was mentally um, disturbed, and also that he actually, at the day of the attack, he tried to contact um, some 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 crisis hotline for mental health but he he didn't uh, he didn't get it. Nobody picked up the phone. So of course that's a very big um, that's a very big debate
1: and and if we we think about your, your readership and and of course uh people uh who are maybe consuming other new news outlets uh as well as you said uh, this is a horrendous event and and of course uh you know the nation i would imagine of course you know rallies around uh you know those killed and and those mm-hmm. that that have survived uh but is there also a sense of Yeah, anger and frustration because, you know, we're in a time, you know, whether we look at governments across Europe, around the world, uh, that, yeah, uh, everyone sort of is putting their hands up a little bit and saying, well, you know, it's very hard to find staff, hence maybe why the phone wasn't answered. Uh, Public services are, are under pressure. But... At the same time, you know, you as Danes uh, don't have the lowest taxes um, in the world, so I'm wondering if people, whether they're sitting in uh, yeah, in Odense or they're sitting in Billund or they're sitting in Copenhagen, are they also scratching their heads a little bit saying, how can this be?
7: Yes, uh, for sure. Well, actually for many years it's been a debate um, that, that when it comes to mental illnesses and to psychiatry, you don't get this, the same level of um, of healthcare service as, as if you had broken your leg or something physical so um and 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 of course this event has really fueled up that debate uh, on uh, whether the politicians have not been prioritizing the the psychiatry and this whole um, part of the healthcare system enough so it's going to be a big uh, debate i think in the upcoming elections and already they are yeah, the politicians have have gathered um, during the summer to um, to to somehow speed up the process of uh, investing more in, in this um, in this field of our healthcare. So yes, there's a lot of frustration, but I mean, um, the good thing is that maybe maybe at least we can learn something from this uh, tragic event. And then on the other hand, I think people were very very happy to um from what we know now to um, to realize that this wasn't uh, characterized as terrorism um because that would have been of course uh, even more tragic but it it seems this man didn't have any political or religious motive so so in that matter it's just it's just more of a yeah very heartbreaking and and tragic event so of course the the entire week have also uh, been about memorial events and um yeah all those following issues a lot of people around the event that that also needs help because um they were so shocked in in this mall it was uh, several hundred people in the mall at at the event time yeah at the time of the attack,
1: just before we move to uh hopefully a more uplifting uh, story to talk about uh, the, yeah. the start of the, the Tour de France. I just want to ask though, uh, yeah, Euline Poston's uh, maybe report card on on how uh, Prime Minister Meta Fredrickson, how she dealt with this. Uh, what's, what's your take on the response and, and I guess also what it means for her from a leadership perspective uh, as well in terms of, of her party's policies?
7: um i i guess it puts a spotlight on on their lack of investing in in psychiatry but um that aside of course her role was just to um to be the, the leader of our country in in a in an event like that where everybody is um yeah in in tears really and uh, so she becomes this uh, gathering leader um so it, it goes both for her and and also uh, our our queen um that they were very quickly out to state that um that of course um they um yeah they they feel with the with the with all these civilians and and yeah and that everybody has their sympathy and there's not much more you can do in a situation like that i guess and then it yeah and then of course the police um had a very um, central role in in a lot of um, communicating about what happened uh, and why it happened and I think if we, if we look back at this week uh, really the public got a lot of information very fast and that was uh, important to everyone it also Let's... showed us how media is is really important compared to social media because if you looked at twitter or facebook uh, and everywhere a lot of um, wrong informations were just uh, going around and um, yeah actually this man he also at youtube he posted some really um harsh videos uh, with him pointing a gun to his head and youtube left it on for um yeah more than a, more than a day um so a lot of this um unfiltered um stuff was just um yeah flickering around in um in in social media so yeah it was a very it was a very important uh, day for uh, legacy media i guess
1: I think it'd be great to, to come back and, and discuss that uh, as well at, at a later point. And as you said, you know, for all of the, the safeguards we hear about, and uh, yes, uh, how the, the social media and digital companies are on, on the front foot. As you said, the fact that this again. We have another incident where you know, this, re- you know, horrible images um, yeah. uh, remain up, you know, for for over twenty four hours. Uh, it Seems yeah. quite quite un- unacceptable. Let's um, yeah. talk about a, a story which should have, of course, dominated and should have been the joy- joyous story for the week, which, of course, was the kickoff of the Tour de France in yeah. uh, in, in Denmark, um, and of course overshadowed very much uh, and for all of the right reasons by, by those events. But nevertheless, um, what do you think this meant for for brand Denmark uh, as well to have this? kickoff moment and uh, and yeah and and I guess it was I was in Copenhagen a few weeks ago you saw this there was this exciting build up around it mm-hmm. uh, but what's it meant for Denmark?
7: I think for Denmark um, and for the Danes it was really a, a very very uh, happy event that gathered people around this sport of cycling. It's very popular uh, for private people just to to do this as a hobby but also to watch um, cycling. In, in TV and we have uh, very many um, good um, good boys on the in the, like biting the Tour de France um, or men <laughs> I should say, and so um, there's a lot of uh, cheering of course, but actually we wrote in independent person about um, an analysis saying that that in total you don't you don't maybe uh, earn so much as a country like of course you get some branding but um, when we look back at other hosting countries um there's not much pointing to the fact that you can earn money on it you know it won't give you uh, uh, more hotel bookings or more tourism um um money um necessarily because you also of course spend a lot of money on hosting this event but i think altogether for the Danes it was it was an amazing event and really since corona people have been um much more into these uh, um big sports events um somehow
1: and in, in, indeed just before we go i want to uh, maybe just conclude uh, on a story which it made international headlines uh, very much in the beginning uh, and and then it, and then it disappeared uh, because, of course, as we know, uh, there are other stories of the day that start to, mm-hmm. to dominate. But this, of course, is the, the well, the, the scandal um, that surrounded this this mink uh, culling. Um, you know, within the period of the, of, of the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. seems like we got close to a resolution uh, on the story. But for those who have not been following it uh, in in Jyllands Posten uh, or in your sister paper Politiken or elsewhere, um, tell tell us what's happened.
7: Yes. In short, because I guess many people around the world don't know about this uh, story in Denmark, but it's it's the biggest um, like it's the biggest scandal um, uh, uh, su- surrounding the con- Corona crisis uh, in Denmark. That um, in 2020, um, suddenly the government uh, were out saying that all minks that are this, this animal used for fur production, we have a lot of mink farmers in Denmark, that all minks should be killed because they were carrying the coronavirus and it could spread to to human um so but then it turned out that they didn't really have the legal foundation to um to tell the farmers to um to destroy the animals so at the back of that there has been a big um legal um uh, commission of, of of inquiry of or what you say you know a lot of lawyers investigating um the foundation and uh, the whole process of this and uh, they came came out with their critique uh, stating that um the government actually acted uh, illegally and that also the prime minister herself has uh, had a very um, critical and problematic uh, role in in this so um yeah in short that's a really big issue in danish politics because um some of the parties they want to uh, press legal charges against uh, medicalex in the the prime minister um which is would of course be a very um, um a very big thing never happened before and um, and one of her normally supporting political parties uh, they they uh, they made the conclusion that she should call out early elections um when we come back from summer holiday and if she doesn't uh, they won't support her anymore so it's a it's a very big thing and you all you already see the polls really uh, reacting um, so yeah we are going to follow this uh, of course the next uh, the next month
1: Malcolm aniel Gertsen, Editor-in-Chief of uh, Jyllands Posten, uh, joining us uh, from London. Thank you very much uh, for that. I'm sure we'll uh, be coming back uh, to you, uh, certainly uh, if we see elections, of course, called in Denmark at 10.47, 10.48 now here in Zurich. We're going away for a very short break. When we come back, we're heading to Tokyo.
3: Ever since the first issue of Monocle magazine hit newsstands in 2007, we've been photographing the world, capturing stories on film, on the ground, and in the moment. The Monocle Book of Photography, reported from places less explored, celebrates this rich visual storytelling, with dispatches from the banks of the Rio Grande, Syria's Aleppo before the war, a spectacular Swiss wine festival, and a Greek naval academy. This powerful celebration of photojournalism also includes interviews with Monocle's favorite photographers. Head to monocle.com and order your copy now and get
0: a fresh focus on the world.
1: You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. Uh, Heading to Tokyo now to uh, speak to our Bureau Chief, uh, Fiona Wilson, uh, off the back of what has been um, really uh, an extraordinary Uh, few days uh, to watch uh, what has, of course, unfolded uh, off the back of the assassination of of former Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe. Uh, Fiona, uh, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon.
1: So uh, this is, uh, I I, I don't want to say just a curious story, uh, but uh, it's it's one which comes very, very close to us uh, and uh, for a variety of reasons, because you're sitting, uh, yeah, in uh, in the neighborhood of our bureau, um, and and Shinzo Abe, not the official residence, but his private residence. He was a fixture in and around uh, our neighborhood uh, for as long as we've been there. He he'd been there sort of far far longer, um, and and it's it's interesting these reflections that we've been seeing about uh, yeah this you know of course there was always police at the end of the street when he was prime minister, but I think it was always it was always interesting when we had visitors, wasn't it, uh, who who were kind of amazed how security light it was, knowing, of course, it was Japan. But nevertheless, we're talking about at the time when he was serving, not to mention in, in his position as a former prime minister, um, that, that security was, was rather light for someone who was the head of a G7 nation.
3: I mean, just extraordinary. I mean, you remember that my... Um my apartment was right next door to his house and Shinzo Abe never moved into the official residence second time so when he was Prime Minister from 2012 to 2020 he stayed in his own house. Uh, Very unusual he never moved into official residence all sorts of reasons one of which is that you know many people think the residence is haunted but um, you know it was absolutely remarkable so our building uh, you know right next to his we just had a, a couple of very cheerful policemen. They had the ability to pull a gate over if anything untoward Happened, But it was very, very light. And as you say, so now, you know, former prime minister, that, that security got lighter. And um, yeah, I, I, I saw him, you know, a matter of days ago um, out with his wife, walking his dog with no security. So I think you can see how different the security situation is here to many other countries.
1: So, so Fiona, I'm, I'm curious, because already uh, in in the press, looking at Swiss newspapers, uh, German, you know, other other German language newspapers. Of course, the English language press as well. There's a lot of big articles, uh, you know, big piece in the Sunday Times as well. Of course, by uh, I'm sure by um, an academic, you know, in Tokyo, all reflecting on on what this means. Uh, many many talking in terms of of a of a turning point, um, but at the same time knowing that this was. I mean, when you look at uh, at this weapon that was was made, uh, and of course it had uh, a devastating effect. Nonetheless, uh, this this was not. Um, you know, I remember someone saying very early on who hadn't even seen uh, an image of this. Oh well, you know, was it? Had someone sort of used a, a 3D printer to make this weapon? I was like, you know, ra- rather rather far far from it. Of course, you've been in Japan for a very long time. Does this mark a? a real turning point in terms of what this means for security policy, what, is, what this means for Japanese society, or is this has to be sort of seen as, as, as a very, very tragic one-off. Um, and yes, again, we've, we've heard that maybe the security was not as tight as it could have been. But as you said, well, this was a public rally. He was out, of course, to support a fellow party candidate. Um, but then, you know, he's also walking around to Tokyo with at least without visible security as well.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in many ways, you have to see it as a one off in terms of gun crime. It's a one off, you know, there are very few guns in circulation, it's pretty much impossible to own a gun here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just not a gun society, as you know. So I think the fact that it's a homemade weapon, and the more that's emerging about this man, you know, he sounds rather disturbed, he was making guns in his very small apartment. He even tried to make a bomb. You know, he seems to be a rather unhappy, disturbed individual and with no political motive. I mean, he said, I don't hold a political grudge against Shinzo Abe. You know, the, the grudge he's he's come up with is is quite obscure, verging on conspiracy theory that in some way Shinzo Abe was connected to uh, a church that the, the, the gunman's mother had given a lot of money to, and that was the source of his anger. So I think you do have to see it it's really, in terms of societal crime, it's, it's a bit of a one-off. But I think in terms of the way politicians are very accessible, and I was at a rally last uh, year when the lower house elections were happening, and I went to one that Kishida, the prime minister, was at. And I, it did strike me. I thought, wow, I didn't expect to be able to get this close with zero security. Nobody's checking bags. Uh, apparently, they do look out for large bags, but, but clearly, as this shows... I think it it was not enough, and if you see the footage, I mean the gunman was able to come up from behind and shoot Shinzabe at pretty close range, which was very, very shocking
1: uh, Fiona just um if if we could um maybe shift in terms of what this has meant because uh, of course this is also um it is it is an election day uh, as as well uh, and and what this has meant, and if you've got any sort of read on on polls, but I guess also what it means. Um, for for Abe's party um, as well, you know, there was there was obviously talk about that this would have an uplift. Uh, what what are we seeing this afternoon for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to say, but you know, people were saying that Shinzo Abe's death could help kishida in the polls i mean the fact is that the ldp kishida and abe's party um is, is on is on course for a victory it always was the opposition is still very much in disarray in japan and and really what what this upper house election is it's sort of barometer how is kishida doing if he gets through this election which everyone assumes he will you know that's that he doesn't have to have another another election for three years it's a sort of ah oh, okay the public is fairly happy with the way things are going. His polling, his ratings are quite good. So it, it's a sort of green light to go ahead with the uh, policies he's been talking about. He was I really feel he was always going to win. Maybe it's given a, a bit of a boost. I don't know. It's, it's been a very hot afternoon in Tokyo. Um, be quite hot going to the polls. But um, yeah, I think, you know, people are expecting a victory for Kishida and, and his coalition partner, Kometo.
1: Florian just got a, a comment, or maybe a small question as well.
2: You know, just just a quick comment, Fiona. I really, I really think it's kind of it's it's very interesting how you know low the security detail is in Japan from what you're describing and it's very similar to Switzerland in fact where you see the president or member of the federal council actually taking the train you know going out in restaurants where you know you meet those people and I think this kind of being relatable as top politicians is absolutely key and and I would just I would just really hope that Japan kind of you know finds its way out of this and sees this kind of as a unique um, very unfortunate and tragic event but doesn't really change this in terms of you know going to the American way of, of, of politics where everything is sheltered off, and it's really, really difficult to get in touch with people, and things don't, things I don't move. So, agree, yeah. yeah, things
6: Sorry. don't
1: move at, at great speed in, in Japan anyway. Mm. So I would imagine that this is going to take time. If there are going to be new processes and protocols, that uh, this is not going to be yeah, maybe an overnight change in terms of uh, accessibility. Or do you think otherwise?
3: No, I mean there was Kishida was out uh, campaigning yesterday, and there was a, a barrier put around him between him and the crowd. Uh, which you, you could argue should have been there anyway but I totally agree you know people like this sort of accessibility they don 't want this massive kind of fortress security that you maybe see say around the American president they don 't want that here so I think there 'll be a, a moment 's pause you know and and, and we still don 't really know enough about this man it seems like he was just operating on his own and I, and i agree i 'm hoping that that uh, you know we don 't want it to change that 's one of the most heartbreaking things you know japan is is ultra safe and I think the level of violence has really you know shaken the country to its core
1: and fiona just in 15 seconds or less just uh, your your read on on summer and uh, tourism uh, the country's open to tours i mean we've been commenting that a lot of people are there on business uh and they're there with business visas but they seem to be bringing their families with them as well uh do you notice a little bit of a bounce back in terms of international faces in the city
3: Yeah, you're right. I mean, you do see more people. And I think, yeah, maybe some business people are squeezing in a few extra people in their entourage. I mean, everyone's saying that Kishida didn't want to do anything before the election. He didn't want to upset, you know, maybe older members of the the voting public who are quite happy with things the way they are. They don't want to see tourism come back. Other people do, maybe. So I think what we'll see, keep an eye on, you know, after the election. Now, there has been a spike in numbers here, so it may be a little bit delayed. But, you know, clearly tourism has to open up at some point.
1: Indeed, uh, Fiona Wilson, our bureau chief in Tokyo. We have to leave it there. We have, uh, yeah, we have 60, 70 seconds uh, to do a lot. So uh, Chandra, very quickly, we're about to uh, sample uh, a nice little rosé as well. And you're also going to give your advice to Florian to me and to Carlotta all in one minute. So, so I quickly. do in
4: one minute. So we do a small tour to Europe. We start with Florian, Lake of Zurich, wine Weingut Höckstein. So they're on the Lake of Zurich, so you have the the water feeling, and it's a, it's a Reuschling. It's a crisp fresh white wine. So it will be good on the boat and to keep you close to Zurich. Second Carlotta. one, Carlotta, we go to Portugal. You are from Portugal. Uh, by, by Rada Baga Grape. They do very nice sparkling wine from Filipa Pato. You have a oh, 3B nice. extra Brut uh, sparkling wine. It will go very well with the, the pasta salad. And Tyler, you have meat, usually with meat, one will take a Cabernet Sauvignon, but I put you to, East, to Italy, Sicily, Aetna, take a Nerello Mascarese from the Aetna. It's a it's a red that has the structure, but the freshness that you will need tonight with the heat of Zurich. Very and good. And now we have... full with this rosé. Cheers. Rose.
1: That's all the time we have for today's <laughs> show. So Florian English, Chandra Kurt, Colotta, back in London. Also Lance Price, Fiona Wilson, and Mark Neil Geertsen uh, as well. Our producers Desiree Banley and Reese James. I'm Tyler Brulé. Have a very lovely Sunday. We're back next week. Goodbye.